Chapter 21, Part 2 of The Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe, read by Gary Day. Chapter 21, Part 2 Skedoni, though he could scarcely endure the presence of this man, had no alternative but to accept him, since he had dismissed the guide who had conducted him hither. Of personal violence Skidoni had no apprehension, though he too well understood the villainy of this proposed companion, for he considered that he himself should be well armed, and he determined to ascertain that Spalatro was without weapons. He knew also that, in the case of a contest, his own superior stature would easily enable him to overcome such an antagonist. Everything now being ready for departure, Elena was summoned, and the confessor led her to his own apartment, where a slight breakfast was prepared. Her spirits being revived by the speed of this departure, she would again have expressed her thanks, but he peremptorily interrupted her, and forbade any further mention of gratitude. On entering the court where the horses were in waiting, and perceiving Spalatro, Elena shrunk and put her arm within Scadoni's for protection. "'What recollections does the presence of that man revive?' said she. "'I can scarcely venture to believe myself safe, even with you, when he is here.' Scadoni made no reply, till the remark was repeated. "'You have nothing to fear from him,' muttered the confessor while he hastened her forward, and we have no time to lose in vague apprehension. How, exclaimed Elena, is not he the assassin from whom you saved me? I cannot doubt that you know him to be such, though you would spare me the pain of believing so. Well, well, be it so, replied the confessor. Spalatro, lead the horses this way. The party was soon mounted, when, quitting this eventful mansion, and the shore of the Adriatic, as Elena hoped for ever, they entered upon the gloomy wilderness of the Garganus. She often turned her eyes back upon the house, with emotions of an inexpressible awe, astonishment, and thankfulness, and gazed while a glimpse of its turreted walls could be caught beyond the dark branches, which, closing over it, at length shut it from her view. The joy of this departure, however, was considerably abated by the presence of Spalatro, and her fearful countenance inquired of Skidoni the meaning of his being suffered to accompany them. The confessor was reluctant to speak concerning a man of whose very existence he would willingly have ceased to think. Elena guided her horse still closer to Skidoni's, but forbearing to urge the inquiry otherwise than by looks, she received no reply, and endeavoured to quiet her apprehensions by considering that he would not have permitted this man to be their guide, unless he had believed he might be trusted. This consideration, though it relieved her fears, increased her perplexity respecting the late designs of Spalatro, and her surprise that Skidoni, if he had really understood them to be evil, should endure his presence. Every time she stole a glance at the dark countenance of this man, rendered still darker by the shade of the trees, she thought Assassin was written in each line of it, and could scarcely doubt that he, 
and not the people who had conducted her to the mansion had dropped the dagger in her chamber. Whenever she looked round through the deep glades, and on the forest mountains that on every side closed the scene, and seemed to exclude all cheerful haunt of man, and then regarded her companions, her heart sunk, notwithstanding the reasons she had for believing herself in the protection of a father. Nay, the very looks of Skidoni himself, more than once reminding her of his appearance on the seashore, renewed the impression of alarm and even of dismay, which she had there experienced. At such moments it was scarcely possible for her to consider him as her parent, and in spite of every late appearance, strange and unaccountable doubts began to gather on her mind. Skidoni, meanwhile, lost in thought, broke not by a single word the deep silence of the solitudes through which they passed. Spalatro was equally mute, and equally engaged by his reflections on the sudden change in Skidoni's purpose, and by wonder as to the motive which could have induced him to lead Elena in safety from the very spot whither she was brought by his express command to be destroyed. He, however, was not so wholly occupied as to be unmindful of his situation, or unwatchful of an opportunity of serving his own interests, and retaliating upon Skidoni for the treatment he had received on the preceding night. Among the various subjects that distracted the confessor, the difficulty of disposing of Elena without betraying at Naples that she was his relative, was not the least distressing. Whatever might be the reason which could justify such feelings, his fears of a premature discovery of the circumstances to the society with whom he lived were so strong as often to produce the most violent effect upon his countenance, and it was perhaps when he was occupied by this subject that its terrific expression revived within Elena the late scene upon the shore. His embarrassment was not less as to the excuse to be offered the Marchesa for having failed to fulfil his engagement, and respecting the means by which he might interest her in favour of Elena, and even dispose her to approve the marriage, before she should be informed of the family of this unfortunate young woman. Perceiving all the necessity for ascertaining the probabilities of such consent, before he ventured to make an avowal of her origin, he determined not to reveal himself till he should be perfectly sure that the discovery would be acceptable to the Marchesa. In the meantime, as it would be necessary to say something of Elena's birth, he meant to declare that he had discovered it to be noble, and her family worthy, in every respect, of a connection with that of the Vivaldi. An interview with the Marchesa was almost equally wished for and dreaded by the confessor, he shuddered at the expectation of meeting a woman who had instigated him to the murder of his own child, which, though he had been happily prevented from committing it, was an act that would still be wished for by the Marchesa. How could he endure her reproaches when she should discover that he had failed to accomplish her will? How conceal the indignation of a father, and dissimulate all the father's various feelings when, in reply to such reproaches, 
he must form excuses and act humility from which his whole soul would revolt. Never could his arts of dissimulation have been so severely tried, not even in the late scenes with Elena, never have returned upon himself in punishment so severe as that in which awaited him with the Marchesa. And from its approach the cool and political Scadoni often shrunk in such horror that he almost determined to avoid it at any hazard, and secretly to unite Vivaldi and Elena without even soliciting the consent of the Marchesa. A desire, however, of the immediate preferment, so necessary to his pride, constantly checked this scheme, and finally made him willing to subject every honest feeling, and submit to any meanness, however vicious, rather than forego the favourite object of his erroneous ambition. Never, perhaps, was the paradoxical union of pride and abjectness more strongly exhibited than on this occasion. While thus the travellers silently proceeded, Elena's thoughts often turned to Vivaldi, and she considered, with trembling anxiety, the effect which the late discovery was likely to have upon their future lives. It appeared to her that Scadoni must approve of a connection thus flattering the pride of a father, though he would probably refuse his consent to a private marriage. And when she further considered the revolution which a knowledge of her family might occasion towards herself in the minds of the Vivaldi, her prospects seemed to brighten, and her cares began to dissipate. Judging that Scidoni must be acquainted with the present situation of Vivaldi, she was continually on the point of mentioning him, but was as constantly restrained by timidity, though she had suspected him to be an inhabitant of the Inquisition. Her scruples would have vanished before an irresistible interest. As it was, believing that he, like herself, had been imposed upon by the Marchesa's agents, in the disguise of officials, she concluded, as has before appeared, that he now suffered a temporary imprisonment by order of his mother, at one of the family villas. When, however, Scadoni, awakening from his reverie, abruptly mentioned Vivaldi, her spirits fluttered with impatience to learn his exact situation, and she inquired respecting it. "'I am no stranger to your attachment,' said Scadoni evading the question, but I wish to be informed of some circumstances relative to its commencement. Elena, confused and not knowing what to reply, was for a moment silent, and then repeated her inquiry. "'Where did you first meet?' said the confessor, still disregarding her question. Elena related that she had first seen Vivaldi when attending her aunt from the church of San Lorenzo. For the present she was spared the embarrassment of further explanation by Spalatro, who, riding up on Scadoni, informed him they were approaching the town of Zanti. On looking forward, Elena perceived houses peeping from among the forest trees at a short distance, and presently heard the cheerful bark of a dog, that sure herald and faithful servant of man. Soon after the travellers entered Zanti, a small town surrounded by the forest, where, however, the poverty of these inhabitants seemed to forbid a longer stay than was absolutely necessary for repose, 
and a slight refreshment. Spalatro led the way to a cabin in which the few persons that journeyed this road were usually entertained. The appearance of the people who owned it was as wild as their country, and the interior of the dwelling was so dirty and comfortless that Scadoni, preferring to take his repast in the open air, a table was spread under the luxuriant shadow of the forest trees at a little distant. Here, when the host had withdrawn, and Spalatro had been dispatched to examine the post-horses, and to procure a lay habit for the confessor, the latter, once more alone with Elena, began to experience again somewhat of the embarrassments of conscience, and Elena, whenever her eyes glanced upon him, suffered a solemnity of fear that rose almost to terror. He at length terminated this emphatic silence by renewing his mention of Vivaldi, and his command that Elena should relate the history of their affection. Not daring to refuse, she obeyed, but with as much brevity as possible, and Scadoni did not interrupt her by a single observation. However eligible their nuptials now appeared to him, he forbore to give any hint of approbation, till he should have extricated the object of her regards from his perilous situation. But with Elena, this very silence implied the opinion it was meant to conceal, and, encouraged by the hope it imparted, she ventured once more to ask by whose order Vivaldi had been arrested, whither he had been conveyed, and the circumstances of his present situation. Too politic to entrust her with the knowledge of his actual condition, the confessor spared her the anguish of learning that he was a prisoner in the Inquisition. He affected ignorance of the late transaction at Salano, but ventured to believe that both Vivaldi and herself had been arrested by order of the Marchesa, who, he conjectured, had thrown him into temporary confinement, a measure which she, no doubt, had meant to enforce also towards Elena. "'And you, my father?' observed Elena. "'What brought you to my prison? You who was not informed with the Marchesa's designs. What accident conducted you to that remote solitude?' just at the moment when you could save your child. "'Informed of the Marchesa's designs,' said Scadoni, with embarrassment and displeasure, "'have you ever imagined that I could be an accessory, that I could consent to assist, I mean, could consent to be a confidant of such atrocious—' Scadoni, bewildered, confused, and half-betrayed, checked himself. "'Yet you have said—' The Marchesa meant only to confine me, observed Elena. Was that design so atrocious? Alas, my father, I know too well that her plan was more atrocious, and since you had too much reason to know this, why do you say that imprisonment only was intended for me? But your solicitude for my tranquillity leads you to— What means interrupted the suspicious Scadoni? can I particularly have of understanding the Marchesa's schemes? I repeat that I am not her confidant. How, then, is it to be supposed I should know that they were extended further than to imprisonment? Did you not save me from the arm of the assassin? said Elena tenderly. Did you not wrench the very dagger from his grasp? I had forgotten. 
I had forgotten, said the confessor, yet more embarrassed. Yes, good minds are ever thus apt to forget the benefits they confer, replied Elena. But you shall find, my father, that a grateful heart is equally tenacious to remember them. It is the indelible register of every act that is dismissed from the memory of the benefactor. Mention no more of benefits, said Scaloni impatiently. Let silence on this subject henceforth indicate your wish to oblige me. He rose and joined the host who was at the door of the cabin. Scadoni, Scadoni wished to dismiss Spallatro as soon as possible, and he inquired for a guide to conduct him through that part of the forest which remained to be traversed. In this poor town, a person willing to undertake that office was easily to be found, but the host went in quest of a neighbour whom he had recommended. Meanwhile, Spallatro returned, without having succeeded in his commission. Not any lay habit could be procured upon so short a notice that suited Scadoni. He was obliged, therefore, to continue his journey to the next town at least, in his own dress. But the necessity was not very serious to him, since it was improbable that he should be known in this obscure region. Presently the host appeared with his neighbour, when Scadoni, having received satisfactory answers to his questions, engaged him for the remainder of the forest road, and dismissed Spallatro. The ruffian departed with sullen reluctance and evident ill-will, circumstances which the confessor scarcely noticed, while occupied by the satisfaction of escaping from the presence of the atrocious partner of his conscience. But Elena, as he passed her, observed the malignant disappointment of his look, and it served only to heighten the thankfulness his departure occasioned her. It was afternoon before the travellers proceeded. Scadoni had calculated that they might easily reach the town at which they designed to pass the night before the close of evening, and he had been in no haste to depart through the heat of the day. Their track now lay through a country less savage, though scarcely less wild, than that they had passed in the morning. It emerged from the interior towards the border of the forest. They were no longer enclosed by impending mountains. The withdrawing shades were no longer impenetrable to the eye, but now and then opened to gleams of sunshine landscape and blue distances, and in the immediate scene many a green glade spread its bosom to the sun. The grandeur of the trees, however, did not decline. The plain, the oak, and the chestnut still threw a pomp of foliage round these smiling spots, and seemed to consecrate the mountain streams that descended beneath their solemn shade. To the harassed spirits of Elena the changing scenery was refreshing, and she frequently yielded her cares to the influence of majestic nature. Over the gloom of Skidoni, no scenery had, at any moment, power. The shape and paint of external imagery gave neither impression or colour to his fancy. He condemned the sweet illusions to which other spirits are liable, and which often confer a delight more exquisite and not less innocent than any which deliberate reason can bestow. The same thoughtful silence that had wrapped him at the beginning of the journey he still preserved, 
except when occasionally he asked a question of the guide concerning the way, and received answers too loquacious for his humour. This loquacity, however, was not easily repressed, and the peasant had already begun to relate some terrible stories of murder committed in these forests upon people who had been hardy enough to venture into them without a guide, before the again abstracted Scadoni even noticed that he spoke. Though Elena did not give much credit to these narratives, they had some effect upon her fears, when soon after she entered the deep shades of a part of the forest that lay along a narrow decile, whence every glimpse of cheerful landscape was again excluded by precipices, which towered on either side. The stillness was not less effectual than the gloom, for no sounds were heard, except such as seemed to characterise solitude, and impress its awful power more deeply on the heart. The hollow dashing of torrents, descending distantly, and the deep sighing of the wind as it passed among the trees, which threw their broad arms over the cliff, and crowned the highest summits. Onward, through the narrowing windings of the defile, no living object appeared, but as Elena looked fearfully back, she thought she distinguished a human figure advancing beneath the dusky umbrage that closed the view. She communicated her suspicion to Skidonely, though not her fears, and they stopped for a moment to observe further. The object continued to approach, suddenly paused, and then glided away behind the foliage that crossed the perspective, but not before Elena fancied she discriminated the figure of Spalatro. None but a purpose the most desperate, she believed, could have urged him to follow into this pass, instead of returning as he had pretended to his home. Yet it appeared improbable that he alone should be willing to attack two armed persons, for both Scadoni and the guide had weapons of defence. This consideration afforded her only a momentary respite from apprehension, since it was possible that he might not be alone, though only one person had yet been seen among the shrouding branches of the woods. "'Did you not think he resembled Spalatro?' said Elena to the confessor. "'Was he not of the same stature and air? "'You are well armed, or I should fear for you, as well as for myself.' "'I did not observe a resemblance,' replied Scadoni, throwing a glance back. "'But whoever he is, you have nothing to apprehend from him, for he has disappeared.' "'Yes, signor, so much the worse,' observed the guide. "'So much the worse if he means us any harm, "'for he can steal along the rocks behind these thickets "'and strike out upon us before we are aware of him. "'Or if he knows the path that runs among the old oaks yonder on the left, "'where the ground rises, he has us sure at the turning of the next cliff. "'Speak lower,' said Scadoni, "'unless you mean that he should benefit by your instructions.' Though the confessor said this without any suspicion of evil intention from the guide, the man immediately began to justify himself, and added, I'll give him a hint of what he may expect, however, if he attacks us. As he spoke, he fired his trombone in the air, when every rock reverberated the sound, and the faint and fainter thunder retired in murmurs through all the windings of the defile. The eagerness with which the guide had justified himself 
produced an effect upon Scudoni contrary to what he designed, and the confessor, as he watched him suspiciously, observed that after he fired, he did not load his piece again. "'Since you have given the enemy sufficient intimation where to find us,' said Scudoni, "'you will do where to prepare for this reception. "'Load again, friend. "'I have arms too, and they are ready.' "'While the man suddenly obeyed, "'Elena, again alarmed, "'looked back in search of the stranger, "'but not any person appeared beneath the gloom, "'and no footstep broke upon the stillness.' When, however, she suddenly heard a rustling noise, she looked to the bordering thickets, almost expecting to see Spalatro break from among them, before she perceived that it was only the sounding pinions of birds, which, startled by the report of the trombone from their high nests in the cliffs, winged their way from danger. The suspicions of the confessor had probably been slight, for they were transient, and when Elena next addressed him, he had again retired within himself. He was ruminating upon an excuse to be offered the Marchesa, which might be sufficient both to assuage her disappointment and baffle her curiosity, and he could not at present fabricate one that might soothe her resentment without risk of betraying his secret. Twilight had added its gloom to that of the rocks, before the travellers distinguished the town at which they meant to pass the night. It terminated the defile, and its grey houses could scarcely be discerned from the precipice upon which they hung, or from the trees that embosomed them. A rapid stream rolled below, and over it a bridge conducted the wanderers to the little inn at which they were to take up their abode. Here, quietly lodged elena dismissed all present apprehension of spalatro but she still believed she had seen him and her suspicions as to the motive of his extraordinary journey were not appeased as this was a town of ampler accommodation than the one they had left scadoni easily procured a lay habit that would disguise him for the remainder of the journey and elena was permitted to lay aside the nun's veil for one of a more general fashion, but in dismissing it she did not forget that it had been the veil of Olivia, and she preserved it as a sacred relic of her favourite recluse. The distance between this town and Naples was still that of several days' journey, according to the usual mode of travelling, but the most dangerous part of the way was now overcome, the road having emerged from the forests, and when Scadoni on the following morning was departing, he would have discharged the guide, had not the host assured him he would still find one necessary in the open but wild country through which he must pass. Scadoni's distrust of this guide had never been very serious, and as the result of the preceding evening proved favourable, he had restored him so entirely to his confidence as willingly to engage him for the present day. In this confidence, however, Elena did not perfectly coincide. She had observed the man while he loaded the trombone on Scadoni's orders, and his evident reluctance had almost persuaded her that he was in league with some person who designed to attack them, a conjecture perhaps the more readily admitted 
while her mind was suffering from the impression of having seen Spalatro. She now ventured to hint her distrust to the confessor, who paid little attention to it, and reminded her that sufficient proof of the man's honesty had appeared in their having been permitted to pass in safety a defile so convenient for the purpose of rapine as that of yesterday. To a reply apparently so reasonable, Elena could oppose nothing. Had she even dared to press the topic, and she recommenced the journey with gayer hopes. End of chapter 21, part 2